please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. We'll be looking at the whole chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a, mul of, excuse me, of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but, your, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. And will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes. 
and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's, Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please fill us with your spirit this morning as we give special attention to what your word teaches us, calls us to, and by your spirit empowers us to live out what you teach us. Encourage us in the meaning of your great bonding love for us, expressed in the covenant and put on display in the covenant ceremony of circumcision. Work in us to know and to feel how tenderly you love and treat your children by putting all our sin on Jesus and having him pay out all the just penalty that we should have paid. But now we don't have to because he did that for us. And from that, Father, in gratitude, move us to want to obey and give special attention to your law and to your gospel. Make us more and more whole in the gospel of your son, Jesus, for it is in his name we pray. Amen. It is amazing, as I thought back on the history of my interaction with pop music from my teenage years through my college years, how often when people lose in love, it's described as cutting. Now, I know we're all dated at different times in music, so I don't know if I'll hit the target with any of you with the songs I'm about to name. Brian Adams, Cuts Like a Knife. Um, uh, Bleeding Love by uh, Leona Lewis. It talks about a cut that keeps happening, but she keeps coming back to this person. One of the most famous from the 60s and was made popular again in the uh, early 2000s by Sheryl Crow was a song written by Cat Stevens called The First Cut is the Deepest. Let me read you some of the lyrics. I would have given you all of my heart but there's someone who's torn it apart. And he's taken almost all that I've got. But if you want, I'll try to love again. Baby, I'll try to love again. But I know the first cut is the deepest. The first cut is the deepest. Because when it comes to being lucky, he's cursed. When it comes to loving me, he's worst. But when it comes to being loved, he's first. That's how I know the first cut is the deepest. It's interesting that cutting is the metaphor of losing in love. 
And why might that be? It's because we were made for love. And if we lose in love, it hurts. And, and, and the metaphor of cutting comes the closest to what it feels like. It's almost, almost literal. Feel like your heart is being ripped out from you. When God issues a covenant, first of all, it is the terms are always determined by him. We don't have a say in any of that. But nonetheless, he wants a response. He wants our consent. And that covenant issues from a bond of love that he's already had on you as his people. The love exists before the covenant ceremony happens, much like a wedding. Unless it's an arranged marriage or you never see the person. But the way we do it in our culture, you sort of fall in love, you try it out for a while, and then you say, okay, we're going to commit to this. And then we have the ceremony, which symbolizes the love that preexisted already. That's exactly what happens in a covenant. The other funny thing is, is that the word for covenant in the Hebrew is the same root word for two things, to cut and to make. The idea of cutting is like a sculptor. So even in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. That same root word for made is the same root word for covenant. And the root word means cut. So you think of like a sculptor. And so this is basic to who we are. When you have that first breakup, it's a cut. And that's why Cass Stevens wrote, it's the deepest. The main idea of this passage is that circumcision, cutting, means that God must take on the cost of our sin in order to fulfill his covenant of grace, because we can't do it. Now, how much does God take on to give out? Well, he gives until it hurts. Literally, it hurts him. And he shows it by making promises to his own hurt, making impressions that he must hurt, the impression he makes on us of his hurt, and then making room for us to see how much he must hurt. Psalm 15, verses 1 and 4 help to paint this picture. O Lord, who shall sojourn, who shall travel, who shall journey into your tent, who shall dwell on your holy hill? And it's a person in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He makes a promise, and unlike I've done with my kids or my wife, I'll make a promise, and then, oh, something came up, i got to make a change. God does not do that. He makes a promise to his own hurt, and this promise of the covenant is going to cut deep into him. It cost him 
He takes on death to give out life for you and for me. So setting it all up in verses 1 through 3, I want you to hear sort of the party and the celebration of chapter 16 toward the end there uh, around Ishmael being born. And Abram has in his mind, I believe, that this is the way it's going to be fulfilled. We're going to go through Ishmael legally in that setup of the... It was an odd thing. Uh, It certainly didn't comport with biblical uh, understanding of marriage. But the slave woman had the son, and that was officially Sarai's son. And so Abram's like, hey, we got it. We got the boy now. And that was, he was 86 years old at that time. And now we come up to 99. 99 years old, and he's just kind of be bopping along. And God shows up and speaks to him. And it's kind of like, I, know, I kind of and sort of try to imagine a little bit about what it would be like. And I kind of think of myself thinking I'd be kicking around in the sand going, yeah, 13 years later, 24 years since I left Haran. It's been a long time. Things are going well. I think Sarah's adjusting. Well, what brings you here now? And God gets up close and personal and he says, verse 1, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, God Almighty, El Shaddai, seems to have a meaning of power, and it's used when he's about to uh, exercise his power, particularly in multiplication of people. And then he issues this command, and the command he gives Abram is the command that he gives kings all throughout the Bible. Just as a referral, it's not on your sheets. 1 Kings 9, 4, God says to Solomon, and as for you, if you walk before me, as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all I have commanded you, keeping my statutes and my rules. God is telling Abram, at this point still Abram, you're a king. You're a king. And so, but you're not the end all. You're a king serving as what we would call my viceroy, which just means sort of like vice king, sort of an ambassador, a messenger, a steward really of the true king, the sovereign lord. He says, walk before me. And be blameless. Now, this doesn't mean perfection. Ideally, it would be. We should obey all the time. But what God is aiming at here is integrity. That you will aim to obey him 100% of the time, but repenting when you fail to. And so the sovereign puts the crown on the viceroy. And it's fitting for him to talk about this. But he's disrupting Abram's peace. Because God says, I'm going to make my covenant with you. And he already did that in Genesis 15 when they divided the animals and God walked through and God's saying, I'm going to take on your failure, even your failure, Abram. If you don't fulfill this, may what happened to these animals happen to me. But now I'm going to ask something of you. Now there's a mutual obligation here, but it's not among equals. Abram has, Abraham has to do something and God is doing something. Of course, God is... in in the uh, position of power and authority here. And so God, in that power of authority, he gives the grace of faith and obedience to Abram. He's looking for the consent of the governed. You ever want to know where we got that idea from? We got it from this covenant-making God. Even God, 
who is the only one that has the authority to say, do it, and not even, don't even question me. And we should just go, yes, sir. And he goes, no, I want you to consider this, think on this, and come in by faith and repentance. And so God promises from his side, in verse 2, he says I, that I, I want to make a covenant with you that I may multiply you greatly. And then he bestows the covenant as the greater, offering the covenant to the, covenant to the lesser. And there's a remedy in this. What's it going to take? Because Abram has already proven himself that he is, by our earthly standards, look, I am not going to throw rocks at Abram from my position. I wish I were a smidgen of the god godly man he, he was. But nonetheless, he wasn't perfect, and he messed up in grand ways. I think even now, unaware of how messed up his situation really is. But look how patient God is. So God calls forth submission, and it's a covenant of grace still. Because all this is, it's not saying, uh, I'm exacting perfection for you, and that, or otherwise I won't do this. He's saying, I want you involved. I want you to participate. And so he says in verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you. Then Abram, of course, falls on his face, that's a sign of submission. And God goes on talking to him. And he's reorienting Abram around the vision of Emmanuel. Because he says in verse 4, um, the word behold is there. There is a word in the Hebrew that we can translate as for you here. As behold, as for you, my covenant is what? With you. Emmanuel means God with us. It will be fulfilled in the person and work of his son, Jesus. Excuse me. And God promises, he says, you will be so great that you're not just the father of one nation. I'm going to make you a father of a multitude of nations. I'm multiplying here. I'm multiplying your glory and what this is saying is, is that there is a universal call for salvation. It doesn't matter where you are, what color you are, what race you are, what ethnicity you are, what socioeconomic background you are. The call goes out. Whosoever will come and find your rest, find your salvation in Jesus. And that's where it's going to end up. Look at Revelation 7, 9 on your sheets. After this, I look, John says, and behold, a great multitude a great multitude, notice the word multitude. Abram started this, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb. That lamb is Jesus. And he's the lamb because he's a sacrifice. And so there's, there's going to be a sacrifice, which means there's going to be a cut, a literal cut. So God renames Abraham. And, it, and it's looking to Jesus, to this everlasting covenant that God says so many times, as the everlasting Father. I know, so you ever thought about that, that Isaiah 9, 6 passage that we quote at Christmas time? It's there on your sheets. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be on his, upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I thought Jesus was the Son. Why are we calling him the Father here? We're calling him the Father because he's the fulfillment of Abram being, and Abraham, <laughs> excuse me, being a father of a multitude of nations, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And still yet, Abram makes his mark. This is how God, who will not share his glory with another, yet shares his glory with his people. He says basically to, to Abram, you're my new Adam. See, Adam was meant to be a king and he fell. And he, he, he decided to sell out to that other plastic daddy, not the real daddy. To that serpent, Satan. And God says is that in verse 2 and verse 6 that God is going to make him fruitful, but not just fruitful, exceedingly fruitful. And that recalls Genesis 1.28, where God tells Abraham and Eve, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth. That's what we were made for, to, to extend and be little images, little mirrors of God's creative activity in the world. And so like a mustard seed here, God is making a new creation from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Behold, if any man is in Christ, and it doesn't say he, he, we put he is a to kind of smooth it out. That's not in the text. It says, if any man is in Christ, new creation. That's what Paul says about us. So the implications of us Coming to Christ for salvation actually is to influence the whole earth and to heal the whole planet eventually. But that's not our aim, not as the church, not in the sense of, of, of us taking on all the things that the world throws at us. We have a singular mission, and that mission is this message. We should not ever let any other thing take on the mission because that mission begins to shape the message, and then all of a sudden becomes the message. The social gospel becomes, okay, we just be nice and good to everybody. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God has decided, even though we don't deserve it, that he will be with us in Christ. Because we're sinners, we don't deserve it, but he comes near and he takes care of the legal problem by putting it on Christ and punishing him instead. And so he, he actually promises land again why? Because this is not meant to be pie in the sky by and by. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's to be done with your feet on the ground where you live. So in order for Abram to have all this, and us by extension, since Abram, Abraham is our father in the faith, he put his faith in Christ as much as he knew of him, which wasn't much, just knew that the sacrifice was necessary. And Christ put his feet on our cursed ground, and you know why the ground was cursed? You know why it says curses everyone who hangs on a tree? Because we're walking on it. And that tree grows up from the ground that we walk on, and that's why it's cursed. So that's why cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Christ hanged on that wood that grew up from the, ground, the cursed ground to become a curse for us so that we wouldn't have to face the curse. We'd have the blessing of Abraham, which is the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 3. So God promises, he swears to his own hurt here in making this covenant because Abram can't pay for it. He's got to get the hurt. It's got to fall on him and it falls on God the Son. And it's fully man, fully God to take that cut 
In a sense, the cross was a circumcision of sorts. Because that's what the circumcision is about. So, this passage is saying that circumcision, cutting, means God must take on the cost of our sin to fulfill his covenant of grace. And how much does God take on to give out? He gives until it hurts. Showing it by making promises to his own hurt and making impressions that he must hurt. It will cost us something. Jesus says, count the cost. You're going to be uh, despised by the world. And so the cut on, of circumcision on the males is God's seal. As males are the heads of their household, in a sense, they're representing those that are under their authority, like Jesus does for us. See how God's, over and over again, he's telling the gospel, even way back here. And he makes an impression. This cut is my seal, verses 9 through 14, that this is for the future generation. God tells him that he's going to have offspring and generations. Just like he said, look at the stars. You, you can number them. That's how your offspring is going to be. It's going to be that kind of number. So there's going to be a plurality of people. And that means there's going to be stability to what I'm giving you, Abram. You have stability. And you know what? Abram will see it. The Bible says he knows he's going to see it someday. Why else would he just put up with just wandering around Canaan, not really having it yet, and then dying not having it? He knows he's going to see it. And that's what it says in verse 9. As for you, notice God said, as for me, this is what I'll do. As for you, you shall keep uh, my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. Every male, verse 11, will be circumcised. This will be a sign between me and you. So what this is saying to the whole world is you have to be in Abraham to have all these benefits. The sign is a source of life, that the blood uh, is sacrificed, but it's not death blood. It is from the progenitor of the race, the father in the faith, so it's actually a spiritual thing. And you know what it means when you get circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin? God explains it in Joshua 5 there. It's the casting away of your sin. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In other words, you were there worshiping just like them. They showed it when they were worshiping the golden calf. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to, that, to this day. Gilgal means roll away. So he makes that impression in circumcision, but he makes it far and wide because age doesn't matter. He who is eight days old, verse 12, among you shall be circumcised. The creation took seven days. The idea is the fulfillment of that. Now we've got a new creation on the eighth day. Now, circumcision was not unique to Israel, but this kind of circumcision of infants was unique to Israel. Children matter. We have to invest in the younger people this gospel. There's a future here. The Old Testament believers would not ever countenance that we would ever think that the only mark of coming into the church and having some of the benefits of that is when you come to faith and then you're baptized. That's why we baptize infants. Look at what it says there in 1 Corinthians 7:14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, 
And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now, that doesn't mean ultimately holy. It means by your presence, if you're married to an unbeliever, which as a Christian, you shouldn't be intentionally, but you might end up becoming a Christian, and the spouse is not one, they're holy in the sense that they live among you. They get benefit from that. He says, otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Again, it's not magic. They're not holy just because they're your children. God has to work in them. Acts 16, uh, 32 and 33. And he took them, this is about the household baptism, that same hour when the Philippian jailer was converted, and that same night washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family, as the head of the household, just like Abram, Abraham and all the people in his household. By the way, you notice how Abram had people from all kinds of lands there that were his slaves? They were circumcised too. They were part of this covenant family. Look at Colossians 11 through 12, how Paul brings circumcision and baptism together. Colossians 2, in him you were what? Circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And notice the order there. Baptism and then faith. It all, we also talked about ethnicity doesn't matter. Look at Paul in Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. It's just an outward sign of an inward work. And baptism takes its place as Jesus instituted it. But it's got to be more than skin deep. De uh, Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And God doesn't leave out Sarah in this. She's the new Eve. Double dealing Sarah gets a double blessing. She gets a name change. Because notice how God's naming them now. God named Abraham. Now God's naming Sarah. He's also named Isaac. God is saying, look, this is on me. I'm taking care of you. Okay? And she will give birth. And she's going to be royalty. And so Abraham makes his case. You know, me and Sarah are too old, right? God answers in verse 19. Sarah, your wife, will have, bear you a son. Then Abram goes, well, what about Ishmael? I've been banking on that. Verse 19, again, God names him. I know Isaac's my covenant kid. And he says, could he not live before, could Ishmael not live before you? The end of verse 19, my everlasting covenant for offspring after you in Isaac. And God even says, look, I, I've heard you, which Ishmael means God hears. So he says, Abram, I've heard you about Ishmael. I'm still extending this to him, but he's got to come under Isaac. It's got to come under Isaac. So God is reaching out to the nations here. Okay? And it's all in the structure of that passage, all the way down uh, to the end of verse 21. You see, John says like this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So we have a reminder that God makes a deep impression on us, at least Abraham here, this circumcision that he would carry with him throughout his life, that he's actually a progenitor of life, though he should have had death, and that there was one who had the major circumcision, 
on his behalf, Jesus. So, let me just make this last point the, the, the conclusion. Galatians 6.14, it's there in your uh, sheets. Paul is saying, look, the cross does something to me. It cuts me off. You know, people were cursed, that God says in this passage, if they didn't get circumcised. But the cross does cut you off. Cuts you off from man-pleasing. It cuts you off from the praise of the world. I am separated from the world, and the world is separated from me. In the cross. I'm going to boast in the cross. God gives till it hurts, showing it by promising to his hurt, by making that deep impression upon us through that cutting, and then finally by making room for us to take it on. Notice what he said. God's got done talking there in verse 22. Okay, Abram, I'm leaving it to you. Abraham, or not Abraham, I keep saying Abraham because that's what we've been saying. Abraham is to you. And without hesitation, that very day, verses 23 and 26, Abram, without reservation, does the circumcision. Yes, I know what this means, and I want it to mean the same thing for all my family throughout every gener all generations. Uh, and then we have their time marked in verses 24 and 25, how old they were when they were circumcised. And then we end with Abram being the father of many nations, the king of many nations, uh, even those in his household. All of that saying in that circumcision is that the price has been paid for you, but it's not just for you, it's for your children as well. Okay, so we can't be cut off from God's covenant. It's a bond. The covenant is just the ceremony. It's by grace, not works. And God had future generations in mind and he wanted us to participate by passing on the faith to those future generations. Look at what Peter says. We'll, we'll end it here. Now, when they heard this, they heard Peter preaching about the gospel of Christ and his resurrection. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Notice what it says. They were cut to the heart, circumcised in the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, and that's the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and all, for all who are far off, everyone whom our Lord God calls to himself. Now, where did Peter get that idea? From Abraham in this passage. Father of a multitude. Yes, we get cut, but we get paid. He gives until it hurts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, impress it upon our hearts how deep and wide and long is the gospel message of all your love for your people wrapped up in all that Jesus was and did and who he is and, and what he is now doing and will ever do uh, in our place. Make us more and more instruments of your righteousness and peace in the gospel of your Son, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.